following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 72, Innovations in Aviation Training, with Aerospace Director at the Polk State College, Eric Crump, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 72 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm here with my fellow aviation motorheads. Welcome, folks. Silence. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> crickets, crickets, crickets. Motorheads, really? Are we all motorheads? <laughs> I actually have I have the crickets. I'll add those later. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, tonight we have is going to be a really special night. I'm really excited to have with us a guest who actually was joined us for a short amount of time on the deck at Sun and Fun. And we have with us somebody that's going to talk a little bit about aviation training. And uh, since this is a, a interview type show, we're not really going to have uh, the picks of the week or announcements, but there, our guest today is going to have some pretty exciting announcements. Now entering cruise flight. We're excited to have him here because he's a dynamic speaker, and uh, what he's doing in aviation training is absolutely phenomenal. And I have with me, uh, it's Eric Crump, Eric Crump from the Polk State uh, Aviation. And uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, Carl, and everybody else. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's great to have you. Well, before we get started, just a quick shout-out to uh, our sponsors, Aviation Universe. Aviation Universe, if you could go uh, check out their website, you can, there's links on thestuckmikeavcast.com to get to the uh, to the actual uh, store that they have online. Some really cool things that they have there. But Aviation Universe is the sponsor of our show tonight, and we really appreciate them. As a matter of fact, if you like the content we have here and uh, you want to help support us, just go to stuckmikeavcast.com and uh, visit some of the folks that are on the right side there. Those will be our sponsors. And uh, the more you visit them, the, the, the more content we can bring to you. But anyway, let's let's uh, get going with the show here. And uh, first, let's uh, say hi, Rick. Rick Felty, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. A little, bit of, little bit of a cold, but uh, I'm pushing right through. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, it's typical for no people problem. to get colds this time of year. I think it's the change in seasons. Yeah, but we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> And also, uh, I have uh, Victoria. Victoria Zyko, where are you coming from this evening? I'm coming from my home in Frederick, Maryland. I'd love to complain about the rain and fog outside, but there's been a lot of tornadoes going on, so I'm pretty lucky compared to elsewhere. (laughs) And our our great journalist, uh, Sean Moody, is with us this evening. Welcome, Sean. Hey there, Yeb. Uh, doing pretty well here in Kentucky, and actually, like Victoria was saying, the uh, storms, I think, are heading this way late this evening, so I'm just keeping one eye on the window and the radar. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we introduce Eric and ask him where he's he's uh, transmitting from this evening, I am actually a very happy camper. I uh, was trying to get back here to record tonight. I was running a little bit late, but then realized that all the snowbirds have gone home. It's a wonderful thing. I live on the beach, as you know, and uh, the traffic is usually horrendous, but this time of year, it's, it's 
it's it's great everybody's kind of flown home uh just like the birds have done they've, they've all gone back up north so things are a lot quieter here uh half our community is missing right now and you can actually tell too it's this is kind of interesting as far as general aviation they they all you know they leave at a certain point in the year and you know i do those safety program meetings and there's every time during the season you've had the same people come by and then all of a sudden they disappear. It's like, oh, what did I do? What did I say? And then you, you kind of realize that those are the snowbirds. It's nothing you've done. So so they're all, all on their way back. But we do appreciate the snowbirds and we appreciate all the, the, the business they bring here to, to Florida. As a matter of fact, Florida is an interesting state as far as uh, training because it's quite a bit goes on here. That's for sure. That's for sure. Rick, you were going to say something? <laughs> But, uh, uh, no. Oh, okay. About Florida? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Florida. You grew up in Florida. <laughs> yeah, totally unrelated. Uh, totally I'm not sure un- anyone knows that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Does anybody know gonna... that? Do we know that? I don't think so. Did I, you know, I didn't know that. Like, oh, yeah, I grew up in uh, Fort, Fort Lauderdale. I went to, went to school there prior to college, all the way through high school. Wow. We learned yeah. something new about Rick Felty all of a sudden there here after how so, many yeah. episodes? I know. It's a secret. It is. Did you start <laughs> flying there? No, I didn't. I, oh, no. Flying was much later. Uh, my dad did a little uh, flying back then, but had a medical issue that couldn't let him complete. But he was, uh, I think it's, uh, Fort La- is there a Fort Lauderdale executive or something? Yes, Fort Lauderdale yeah. executive. So he, he did a little bit of stuff there, and he had uh, uh, some some people he, that he worked with at that time who were into flying. So I had a little bit of exposure then, and then uh, and then much later up north. So. Wow, what other yeah. secrets are going to find out like in episode eighty-two? You know about Rick Felty. And, I'm saving the good life. stuff though. That that you know that's that's nothing compared to what I'm really going to reveal. <laughs> Stay tuned for episode one hundred. One hundred. We'll, yeah, there you go. Reveal we'll remember some that. super secrets. It's so. a promise. Yeah, I better come up with something. Well, we're, we're we're well on our way there, and boy, I tell you, uh, it, what what's been amazing is is the when you talk to people in aviation, you learn so much about them. That's one thing that's exciting about being at the airport and hanging out with folks. And you know, I recently, just to add to what you were saying, I I was hanging out with somebody, and we were discussing flying airplanes, and he actually had a a grandfather that flew the B-25 and started explaining all about the B-25 to me. I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is something that I didn't, didn't learn, didn't know before at all. So this is kind of like what these podcasts are about. It's these wonderful aviation conversations and we can learn so much from them. As a matter of fact, tonight or today, we're going to learn quite a bit from uh, our guest today, Eric Crump. Eric, uh, Boy, he's he is a a podcaster extraordinaire. He was on the Flight Monkeys, which was a podcast that actually uh, uh, they start doing the the podcast, and then he uh, went on and or actually while he was doing that, he was working uh, for Glime Publications. He's also uh, the aerospace director for Polk State College. And uh, Eric, welcome to the show again. And uh, where where are you uh, transmitting from this evening? I am in the heart of Central Florida, in the metropolis of Winter Haven. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Sun and Fun over in Lakeland, that's about uh, 30 minutes to the west of me, so um, sort of right in the center of the state. I enjoy absolutely no airflow during the summer at all because uh, both of Florida's sea breezes compete against each other. So while Carl is enjoying the breeze, we're over here sweating and dying in the middle of the state. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's... Uh, uh, Polk State College has uh, a campus uh, here in the city of Winter Haven, also one uh, in the city of Lakeland. And then my facility is actually at the Lakeland Airport, the home of Sun and Fun, uh, maybe a quarter mile east down the road from where Sun and Fun is held. Well, the um, central Florida sure does get a lot of thunderstorms. So unlike we do here on the beach, they kind of push their way in. And we're coming up on that season, actually, Eric, where you're probably going to get some storms every day, aren't you? 
Yeah, we got uh, we got beat to death pretty good this afternoon. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I was sitting in my office and um, I'd been in and out all day, and then all of a sudden this just loud thunderclap. Um, at the class across the hall from me, somebody screamed in there. It was out of nowhere. Just this, it sounded like it was right down the hall from us. Um, and then uh, that stayed around pretty much all afternoon, just until uh, maybe an hour or so ago. So um, this nice little it, it it looks like a I call it the spine of Florida. It uh, it pops up and it runs all the way down the peninsula. Um, but it happens every afternoon, just about, and uh, it's all summer long. Well, you know, there it it is a bit of a challenge though, flying around Central Florida, especially if you're flying IFR. You you pretty much uh, can't get through the middle of the state sometimes. And I know uh, well, that's one of the safety meetings that we're going to do. It's talking about flying IFR around Florida, and you teach in Central Florida. You must not get much IFR in the middle of the year. Well, it really depends on where you go. The cool thing about um, those cells that pop up in the center of the state, um, I mean, they can be a little bit difficult to navigate around, but they're usually not as concentrated as, say, like a squall line, like what's hitting Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee right now. Um, and so you can navigate in and amongst them. And actually, from from our perspective, it's a really good IFR training environment because you do you have to know where the weather is and you have to know how to use the resources outside the airplane, like uh, air traffic control. Um, and, and pilot reports, things like that, uh, to be able to figure out where to go. So uh, my instrument units were still flying this afternoon. Um, it just requires a little bit more planning, a little bit more safety consciousness, which at the end of the day is a good thing. Well, Eric, you mentioned flight training, so let's get into that a little bit. You, uh, you're the aerospace director at this Polk State College, and for you know the first time people uh, meeting you right now, let's talk a little bit about Polk State and their aerospace program and uh, how it's developed in the past few years. I know you have a special announcement. We'll try to save that to the end as a, a little kicker at the end. But that's uh, And there's some amazing things you guys are doing. So explain a little bit about the program at Polk State and, and how it got started. Sure, thanks. Um, actually, the, the program actually began in 1964 when the college was initially created at uh, Bartow Air Base, which was one of the um, civilian Air Corps training centers uh, in preparation for World War II. Um, and uh, as the college uh, came into existence and then moved from the city of Bartow to its new headquarters now and built its campus in the city of Winter Haven, um, really during that time there was a lot of pilot training going on, civilian pilot training, um, and degrees being conferred through that. When the program moved to Winter Haven, the flying thing just sort of went away, and, um, and the program had just been really dormant um, since then. But then uh, maybe uh, two years ago or so, um, some really intelligent people, which did not include me, by the way, um, sat down and said, you know, there's a big need coming um, in in aviation in general, whether that's in flying, in maintenance, in administration, in dispatch, air traffic control. Um, there's there's a, a, a looming issue on the horizon. Let's try to be proactive and get ahead of this thing. Um, and rather than trying to just reheat that same old 1938 training curriculum that we just keep using over and over again, let's just throw all of that away and start over from scratch. And that's that's essentially what the college did. And it created a, a brand new take on uh, aerospace education, again, from the cockpit to uh, the maintenance hangar to the front office and, and all over. Um, and so the program accepted its first students a year ago in January. Um, and so we started the program with 25 students. Um, we had three students that flew the first semester. 
Um, so a humble beginning. Um, and as of this January, a, a calendar year later, um, we have uh, currently a little over 185 students in the program and um, a little over 35 flying now. Um, our, if, we're on, if we stay on the track that we're on now, we'll actually double our number of active flight students by the time the fall semester starts in August. So, I, I mean, not, it's not a horn tooting thing. There, there really was a need, um, and the industry's, I don't, wouldn't say enjoying, but is experiencing that right now. And, yeah. um, and beyond just the need, there's a huge interest. People are finally starting to, to look at, at flying airplanes and fixing airplanes and managing aviation operations as a good, attractive job again. You know, it took us, you know, over, you know, almost a decade to dig out of the negative impression that the post 9-11 world left on, on young men and women who looked huh. at aviation and said, well, this is a dead end job. I don't want to do this. And we're finally starting to see that mentality start to change. Well, I, how exciting must it be to be in the ground floor of something like that to sort of say, let's reimagine this and let's build it the way we know we should build it, you know, and you're right. The timing does feel really opportune. So, but am, am I right that it's just must be very exciting to, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, um, I, I, I try to temper my enthusiasm about it. Um, when I talk to people because I don't want to come across as being, uh, uh, ingenuine, but, but no, seriously, I, uh, it's so exciting to be able to get up every day and, and go to work and, and to be able to, to interface with this new program and the students that we have who come into the program, you know, they, they have this attitude of, Hey, you know, this is really different. Um, and when you look at our curriculum, it's not like anything else you're going to look at. I mean, when I say that we threw the old model away and started over again, we really did. I mean, and, and Carl knows a little bit probably more about the curriculum than, than most just because Carl and I have uh, known each other for a while and I've, we've talked a lot about this training approach. Um, but I think Carl can attest to the fact that minus the fact that you leave with a degree and a pilot certificate, that's about where the similarities stop. Um, and uh, the, uh, just the method of getting there agree. is very different. Yes, and it's it's in, it, not only in, in the way you do things, but the attitude. But I think uh, that's what you're about to touch on is you really, really do things different there at Polk State. And you take this this approach that, you know, I, I think some people, you know, I don't know, they're a little skeptical uh, of the approach you take. Uh, and I've <laughs> yeah. heard that before, but but it works. But really, let's let's talk a little bit. What What is different, you know, for, for our listeners? What What's so different about what you're doing? So first of all, we started with how we conduct the training, because at the end of the day, yes, a student has to pass an FA knowledge and practical test in order to earn a pilot certificate. Um, so, so that's, you know, you can look at that as the end game and that's what, what many academy and, and collegiate aviation programs do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but our, our approach is that the certificate is just a thing that happens. That's not the end game. The end game is building a professional, safe and competent pilot. Um, as part of that, yes, you're going to get a pilot certificate, but and I, I joke with the students, the easiest flight they have every semester is their FA checkride. Um, and so far, the students have told me that that's true um, wow. <laughs> because we, ex we expect so much more of them than the FA does, uh, to, to be completely honest, because I'm, I'm not just concerned about you maintaining your altitude within 100 feet. Why don't you just maintain your altitude? Why, why bother with that 200-foot window? Just maintain your altitude. Um, or <laughs> – you know, knowing a, a list of 
systems because they're listed in the practical test standards. Okay, well, that's that's fine. I mean, you understand what the system is, but why don't we get why don't we get in a flight simulator and why don't I actually start failing instruments on you and why don't I give you a partial gear extension? Have you actually take that knowledge that you have and use it in some real way other than just regurgitating to me which direction the oil flows? Um, and so I think there's there's more to just flying the airplane, more than just punching the buttons. Um, not to say that stick and rudder skills and automation management aren't important. They're a huge part of our curriculum. But we don't focus on training airline pilots. We don't focus on getting people pilot certificates. We We build professional pilots. And I tell students, I don't care if you go fly for the airlines or if you go tow banners up and down the coast of Florida for the rest of your life. Whatever you do, I just want you to be a professional pilot so that whenever you go into whatever operation it is, all you have to learn is a new airplane and a new set of op specs because those core skills, the how the airplane moves through the air and the how you treat the airplane and how you treat the, you know, the system that is aviation, that's all the same and it's all habit. Well, you know, Eric, how about somebody who is interested in going to the airlines? You know, there's just to challenge you a little bit here. How, how about issues that we see in the airlines that we're having these days uh, with, say, actively monitoring? Uh, how do you address those issues? And, and I, you know, I understand what you're saying. You know, building the core principles of flying and, and building the basics are the best way to teach an aviator. But there's also some things that, that they need to know before they go to an airline. If there's a, some way that we could teach them those things and get good active monitoring, say, that's just one issue, uh, that would be great when they come over to the airlines. Are you addressing those issues at all? Sure, and thank you for asking that. <laughs> so uh, what we do with our program, um, you know, currently we have two degree pathways, one for uh, professional pilot and one for aerospace administration. And what we do, we, we sort of marry those courses together. So um, our aerospace administration students build our schedule. Um, they schedule our aircraft for maintenance. They schedule our instructors for recurrent training. Um, and, and this is the live schedule. This is, you know, they, they are using our actual flight operation as a model for their classroom courses. At the same time, our students, our pilot students, are in classes with our aerospace administration students, they share a very large program core, as a matter of fact, so that our pilots understand what it's like in the front office and our front office people understand what it's like in the cockpit. Beyond that, we try to get the we try to get our students outside of the box in terms of outside of just flying the airplane. So our entire curriculum is based on the safety management systems framework, which IKO adopted a long time ago as an international standard for managing risk in aviation on every side of the cockpit. Um, but the FA has slowly adopted as well as an operating standard. Um, and currently, all Part 121 airlines, 135 air charter operators, and airports must conform to the safety management system framework. There is currently no requirement for uh, pilot schools uh, to adopt or maintain the safety management system framework. We do it electively um, because when our students leave here, they're probably not going to stay in collegiate aviation. They're probably going to want to go fly for the airlines or the corporate operators or the air charter guys. And so I want them to understand what SMS is. I want them to understand what crew resource management and single pilot resource management are because there's no guarantee they're going to walk out and necessarily go to a flight deck type operation. And so we do try to cover not just the basic stick and rudder skills, not just the basic automation skills, but also the actual operational mentality of how various operations work, not just the airlines, but certainly we cover that too. 
but you're you're a really new school. Uh, if I'm looking at this from an out, as an outsider, you're the aerospace program, I should say. And how is it that you get this experience, say, in crew resource management and safety management systems? Where where do you get that from? Well, that's another really cool thing about the way we select professors. Um, obviously, we're an academic institution, so to maintain our accreditation standards. We have to have people who have you know, degrees in their field and, and all of that, and, and that's fine. But what we really try to do is to emphasize um, mentorship, not just classroom instruction, but actual mentorship from the people we hire as faculty members. And you know, I have um, 767 cargo captains. Um, I have NASA researchers. I have a, a guy who teaches in my aviation management program who was in the uh, design and implementation phase for Skylab. Um, we've got, uh, cargo guys, we've got, uh, airline people, we've got, we've got this big broad realm of experience because I haven't done all of that. Um, and actually to be completely honest, the airline thing just wasn't my cup of tea. Um, it, it's, it's a great job. It's a great career field. Um, I just liked the corporate aviation model better. Um, it was a better fit for me and I loved my time in corporate aviation. If I had to do it all over again, I would have gone the corporate path again. Um, there are other people who the thought of flying corporate makes them sick to their stomach and they just want to fly for the airlines. And that's fine. But I know that I don't have you know operational airline experience. But I have people who work in this program who have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours in 121 operations. Um, and, and so because of that, because of this huge experience pool – that we put in front of our students, you're not just hearing one line of thinking. You're hearing all different perspectives over, you know, about uh, at least 45, 50 years of industry experience between, you know, the, the, the breadth of people we have teaching in the program. I wonder how you were able to attract all these people. And, and you know, full disclosure, I'm actually affiliated now with Polk State College. We'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, how do you attract people to this program? I mean, I'm an airline pilot. You know, I'm, I'm somebody that works in NASA on Skylab. How do you find these people? And, and what do you tell them when you say come to Polk State? Because, you know, a lot of people really don't know much about it. Well, Carl, I have a, I have a beautiful face. And, um, and that's really, that's what does it for most people. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's actually not beautiful at all. Um, so. Well, no, 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 we think it is. Thank you, Carl. (laughs) No, they're, they're just as passionate about this as I am. And and just as passionate as my administration is because these are people who've been in the industry and they've seen the end result of reheated by the book maneuvers based training. They, they have seen what happens when people cannot think outside the box and all they can do is follow the magenta line. Um, and they, they've seen the reality of that. So, so they, they come in with a, um, you know, an incredible passion for what it is they're doing. Um, they, they really love it. They love interfacing with the students. Um, it, it's just as big a, a passion for them as it is for me. Well, and, and that's great. I mean, it's neat to see that there are, are people out there that are still truly passionate about their jobs. And, you know, for me, I actually really do like my job. And I'm an airline pilot. And, uh, you know, sometimes we don't talk about that enough. But I actually like going to work. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And to be able to get someone like myself who really loves what they're doing and have them come and get involved in this type of program, I think is awesome. And and you have a way of attracting those people from, and this is from my perspective, 
because of the fact that you're doing things much different. And it's as if it's like you're starting with a clean slate and it's just so refreshing just the people that are there and and there's such a vibrancy amongst their the student population especially maybe it's because it's such a new program but it's it's incredible i've never seen such a group of 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 young you know students that have been so excited about what they're doing it's funny the students actually give me a hard time because they say um the policies and procedures change every semester um but that's true um we we really try to emphasize the fact that, um, well, aviation is, is supposed to be an iterative process. It's not static. It's not, um, it's not supposed to be something that just you, you create it and then it just sits still. That's the whole, the whole beauty about aviation is that it's a constantly changing environment and we are an extremely iterative program. We we look for ways we can improve all the time. I'm extremely open to feedback from students, from our faculty members. We have a very open line of communication, and I, I'm fairly certain – I mean the students could be lying to me – but I'm fairly certain that, that they like that. They like being able to come into the program director's office and say, you know, I really think this class would be better if you covered this topic in this way. And that does two things for me. One, it means that the students are involved and they're excited in what they're doing, which thrills me to no end. And two, it gives me the exact feedback I need, which is from the end user. I need to know if this information we're imparting is getting through and getting to the point that we want it to get to. And if the student can tell me, you know, I would understand it if you did it this way. Like, Thank you. That's exactly what I need. And with <laughs> that kind of feedback, we can go back to the drawing board as much as we need to, to continue improving the process because we're, and I tell the students this, this is never done. You're never done in aviation. And if you are, then you're doing something wrong. Um, you have to keep improving and, and chipping away at the marble, um, understanding that, that that is the process of the joy in aviation is the ability to continue to better yourself. There's always something you can do better that's the thing I love most about aviation. I started flying the day after my 13th birthday. I sold it on my 16th birthday. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And it, watching these – and they're not all kids. Some of them are adults. Um, some of them are older than I am. Yeah. Some of them are older than I am. But when they come in from that first solo and their eyes are as big around as saucers and everybody claps and cheers for them and we cut their shirt tail off of them, the, it's just uh, – it's infectious. Cool. It's it's infectious, and it's a huge flashback to me from the day I did it, and from the people that supported me and built me up and mentored me. And I don't. I think if we don't continue that process, then we're really shooting ourselves in the foot as an industry, not just as an industry, but as as a you know a global economy of people who depend on aviation for travel and business and all that stuff. If we're not yeah. if we're not carrying that knowledge forward, that's a problem. Um. Eric, how many? Is, I assume this is, is this a four-year program, or how does this how does it work? I mean, you know, how, what's the equivalent? Okay, the, good question. Yeah, I just you know, what I, mean? I don't understand because I, I I think of traditional college. I know there's some college programs that act, you know it's basically a four-year program. I think uh, it, how does it work? And then then dovetail the other thing that you just touched on that I think dovetails on this is you know who who are the students or or who would this program benefit? And I assume it has something to do with wanting to have a career in aviation, a career in some uh, broad aspect of aviation as a career. But it sounds 
like you got an age range that's interesting to me too, you know? So anyway, but tell me about let the program. Me, before you, before you answer that, Eric, first. Go ahead, Carl. I was going to say, this, this kind of was the big announcement. And, oh, and, and Rick, okay. Rick kind of preempted it. But no, that's great. And, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know. Go ahead and, no one and, told me. So no, no, no. We were keeping you in the dark <laughs> on this one. But, but this is a great segue to that. And it is amazing what you're doing. So, Eric, I really, you know, this would be a great time to share, share the big sure. news that you have here. Uh, this, this, is, this is really cool. Um, so uh, the program started a year ago with an associate's degree, a two-year associate's degree in professional pilot science. Um, in August of that year, we added an associate of science degree in aerospace administration. Um, so my, my big announcement, the thing I'm really happy and really stoked to be able to tell people is that as of August of this year, we'll be the first public college or university in the state of Florida to offer a four-year degree in aviation. Wow, um, that's, that's very it, cool. It's a, it's a huge deal because... Um, while, and you'll never hear me say anything bad about Embry-Riddle or FIT or uh-huh. Jacksonville University because they're they're great programs. They really are, but they're so expensive. <laughs> um, and so there are a lot of people out there, and, and I know this is true because many of them are my students. There are many people out there who have a, a burning desire for a career in aviation, but just immediately say no or have their parents tell them no because it because the price range is so high. So again, what we did when we looked at this curriculum model was to say, okay, how can we make it better, first of all? And then second of all, where can we save people money? Because it costs way too much to become a pilot and stay current as a pilot. So how do we how do we impact that model? And so the way we did it was to design a curriculum that is extremely heavily simulator based. Um, and by doing that, of course, Central Florida simulator training is air conditioned, so that's a plus. Um, <laughs> but it lets us do things in the simulator that is just unsafe uh, or impractical to practice in an airplane. Um, and by doing that, we make the learning so much more practical to the student. By the time they get to the airplane, which is where the cost is, the cost is in operating the aircraft. Once the student gets to the airplane, they've already talked about it. They've already practiced it in the simulator. So when they get to the airplane, it's a lot like biology class where you spend some time in the classroom learning everything. And then one day a week you go down to the lab and you dissect something. So we use the airplane as a lab. So I I tell the students, we teach you to fly on the ground and then we just let you demonstrate what you learned once you get in the airplane. And by doing that, we're able to keep the cost considerably low. And when I say considerably low, um, my associate's degree, which contains all of the flying, uh, it's private certificate first, add the instrument rating, commercial pilot certificate, and then the multi-engine rating as well. Um, And then we have the optional flight instructor certification for people who choose to pursue it. You're looking at about $68,000 for all of your flight training and an associate's degree. What's really awesome is then when you decide to add on the bachelor's degree component the next two years of that, you end up with a bachelor's degree that costs about $84,000, including all of your pilot training, um, compared to in the state of Florida, anyway, your next cheapest option, uh, Jacksonville University, is twice that. It's one hundred sixty-six thousand dollars for four years. Wow! Uh, you know, Embry Riddle as a residential option is you know close to two hundred eighty thousand dollars. So it's you're talking about a huge, huge cost savings. And when I say that that you're able to capture a demographic that is perfectly capable of operating airplanes. They just – they were not able to do it. The opportunity did not exist because the price was too high. That's the only way you see a 600% enrollment growth for a program that's a year old in the middle of the state of Florida from a college that 
no one outside of Polk County knew existed, <laughs> especially in the aviation field a year ago. Um, the only way that happens is because people start to wake up and go, wow, there's this opportunity that I've always wanted that's never been available to me. And our, our student demographic is really insane when you look at it. We have dual enrolled high school students who are 16 years old um, up to people who are 55 and 60 who are starting a third career. Um, and we do have a very large veteran population because we're a public school. Uh, veterans can make full use, 100% use of their GI Bill benefits, uh, which is huge for them that, because they've obviously earned uh, this benefit from serving our country, protecting our freedom. And so for them to be able to use 100% of that rather than a limited number going to a private institution, that's a huge deal for them too. Um, but we have, this, we have this awesome demographic of students, uh, which helps my younger students have, a, have some role models for maturity. It also helps my older students see the passion and the, you know, the excitement in these young people that they get to mentor and feedback their experiences, which just make them feel more uh, energized and enthused about the program. So, um, and, and, you know, and Carl's been around several of our students. Um, Carl got to spend a lot of time with us at Sun and Fun and um, it, the excitement in them is palpable. I mean, you can, <laughs> you can see it when you talk to them. Um, they, they really enjoy it. They, they love the program. Um, and not to say that they, you know, don't, you know, complain. Of course they do, you know, because it's not perfect and it will never be perfect because I will never stop tinkering with it because there's always something we can do to make it better. Um, so I don't mean to say that it's the, um, you know, the, the, the fix all, uh, of, of, of all aviation and it's a perfect program. It is new and it has, you know, it has it has incredible potential. It requires a lot of work and constant attention, and the only way it's possible to do this, to grow this, uh, for this thing to be what it is, is our incredible administration at the college, who is incredibly supportive of the program, of of our efforts as program staff, but also just their desire to provide opportunity to people. That's one of the things, quite frankly, that attracted me to Polk State College as a career option. Uh, because as Carl mentioned, I was the aviation content manager uh, for Glide Publications for uh, uh, eight years and absolutely loved that job and um, was very happy there. And when this opportunity came up at first, I just said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good where I am. I'm not really looking for a job. The more I got to know the curriculum and the more I got to know uh, the college administration, it was a slam dunk. I mean, this this place is a – I mean, if, if you love aviation and you love aviation training, this place is a slam dunk. Well, that's know, that's a. I'll go ahead, Rick, or, or Carl. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say real quickly about the, the. You talked about the students, and then I'll let uh, Sean go. They are absolutely amazing, uh, group of people. And what what's interesting is the the fact that number one at Sun and Fun in general, there was such an excitement and a buzz about aviation. I know you and I talked about this, Eric, but you could feel amongst the younger people how excited they are again about flying as careers or just in general. But amongst you, the students that you're working with, it's it's amazing to me that every one of them, I think I, at the, sh gosh, I think there was at least a dozen that I met with, no more than that, at Sun and Fun. They all were so excited and very articulate and very outgoing. And I was wondering, what what is it you feed them? How do you how do you get them to be like that? Because they're they're all just like so excited. It's like it's like, hey, we need help moving this, and like ten people run over and and jump and help. I was like, wow, that's that's incredible. The the the, the ethics that you've been able to to move forward into their lives. That's that's fun. It's phenomenal. I think. 
well, professionalism isn't just a buzzword that deals with how a you know a, a flight deck crew should be at an airline. Professionalism is just a way of life, and it doesn't just apply to aviation. It applies to your character. It implies it applies to uh, the motivations for how and why you do things. Um, and, and I mean, you know, we're not a this is not you know a philosophy program, but at the same time, you know, we really do try to impress upon the students that. Okay, you're a good pilot. Great. There are a lot of good pilots. That doesn't necessarily make you special. Um, oh, you're a great pilot and you've got time flying this airplane. That's great. There are a lot of people who have that. Um, you know, what aviation really needs as an industry is is a group of professional, motivated young men and women and older men and women for that matter too. It it needs a core of people who care, not just who are showing up for their paycheck. And we try to instill that in the students from day one. And, um, and I, I, at least to this point, I would say that we've had great success in that. I think that it's, it's easier to teach a student what professionalism means in aviation when you start with just good character, good citizenship, just good, just basic common sense, the stuff they taught you in fourth grade when you learned in social studies. Um, you know, going back to those essential principles, if we can hit that, those things start to tie in and the students start to see, well, you know, being a good community member is important and I should do that and I should have a give back attitude. Um, and if we can, if we can do that, then we start to generate an entirely new um, crop of professionals uh, in the aviation business who, again, are not showing up just because they want to get paid, but are showing up because they legitimately feel like they are a contributor to the community, the, the bigger community and system out there in aviation. And Sean, you had a question? Yeah, Eric, you were talking about um, how all the uh, the simulator training really helps you guys keep the uh, costs down. And, you know, I remember doing sim training back when I was learning and, and hated it. But I know they've, they've come a long way. And, and the things that you can do now with training on different versions of glass cockpits and that kind of thing, I know it's now more than just trying to learn procedures. I mean, you guys can expose people to all different kinds of cockpits now, right? That's true. Um, you know, I have one simulator frame with which I can simulate six different airplane models. Um, and that's glass cockpits, analog cockpits, multi-engine aircraft, single-engine aircraft. And and not only that, we can log that time in the student's logbook. That's a huge deal. Um, and, you know, at the onset, I will admit, uh, especially some of our younger students, uh, said, you know, well, I don't want to fly this. I want to go fly the airplane. And they feel that way because they, they, they're excited about getting in the airplane, and that's great but they have no idea how overwhelmed they are and how much they're not learning because at the onset of training, there's just so much going on. Everybody's talking in your ear. The instructor's trying to talk to you. It's hot. The airplane's bouncing around. You still don't really understand how these wing things are hanging onto the airplane in the first place. And you're so overwhelmed. A lot of that early money that you're spending is just evaporating into vapor. And so what we did was look at the model of how simulation is used in pilot training. I said, okay, Let's stop trying to make money off of simulation. Let's try to add value to the instructional experience so we have less burnout, which will in turn create more airplane hours. It was a wild and crazy experiment. Um, it's not unlike what Redbird is doing out at Skyport in San Marcos, Texas. It's the same basic model. Um, that's the big simulator I was talking about that we use is a Redbird LD, for example. Um, and so what we found was that the students 
negatively responded to the simulator mainly because they were excited about flying the airplane. So how do we get the students to want to fly the simulator? Well, we made it free. <laughs> um, uh, free is a pretty big carrot to a college student. Um, and so we don't charge our students any any monetary amount to use our simulator equipment. Wow. Um, they pay for instructional time that they receive from their flight instructor, but they don't pay for the equipment. And because of that, we noticed immediately that the students started to see a huge value in what they were learning before they got in the airplane. And then, as tends to be the case, not only in aviation, but certainly in collegiate aviation, I let the gossip train do the rest. They started talking amongst themselves, and that sealed that deal. Um, and now the students the students ask their instructors, hey, can we try this in the sim first? Which is it's crazy, uh, which, you know, you never would you never would have seen, you know, two, three years ago. In it. But they see how much money it is that they're saving and how much more useful the time is in the airplane. Because, sure, and Sean, you brought up a point about doing it early on in training. I can teach you how to talk on a radio in the airplane, but that's a huge waste of your money. Um, it'd be a much better use of your money if we did that in the simulator. I can teach you how to taxi in an airplane and how to figure out where you are on the airport and how to get to the runway. But that's a terrible waste of your money. It's a lot easier to do that in a simulator with a, with a taxi diagram. And so we try to find those opportunities for where sims are great, what they do well. You know, you're going to learn, you know, perfect procedures for a, a landing in a, you know, non-motion, low-fidelity aviation training device. Well, no, of course not. But you can learn checklist usage. You can get the habit down of, you know, what you do, when you do it, and get the general procedure set. And, you know, when you look at uh, simulated emergencies, for example, right? So we're going to go out in the field. I'm going to pull the engine. And by pull the engine, I'm going to grab the throttle and pull it out, and you're going to see me do that. You're going to watch me do it, so you know that I've just pulled the power out. And then you're going to look around and say, okay, well, I'm going to land in that field over there. And then you're sort of going to set up for it, but at 500 feet above the ground, we have to go around. We can't go any lower than that. In a simulator, I can have you pick a field, and I can let you land the airplane. And I don't have to pull the throttle out. I can fail the oil pressure. And we can sit there, and if you're not scanning your engine instruments, you're never going to notice you lost oil pressure until the engine seizes. Now, that's, that's an cool. engine failure, and that's a, that's not just a simulated engine. That's a real engine failure. Now mm. you have to pick a field and get there. And because of that, we can teach pilots skills that, you know, unfortunately, in the real world, if we were just training in an airplane, you would never see that maneuver really performed until it actually happened to you the first time. Well, you know that the sim training, though, is you know it's it's come. There's a lot of people are skeptical, and I think maybe if they could talk to you and say, you know, Eric, what are the real results? And this sounds good, and I agree, but are you seeing any difference in the outcomes? In other words, are the amount of hours needed to to learn a specific maneuver are they less than the amount of hours to finish your certificate in the actual airplane? Have they actually been decreased somewhat, the, the hours in the actual airplane? Oh, definitely, absolutely. Um, we have an average completion time right now in our private pilot program of, of 48 hours. Um, oh. And so that's not low enough. We can do better than that, um, and that we will do better than that. But that's significantly lower than the national average because we incorporate a lot of light sport aircraft in our primary training and I'll get to why we do that in a minute. The aircraft are much cheaper per hour to operate than your traditional 172. Um, and so we see students who are completing privates in $8,000, $8,500. 
um, as opposed to 12,000 or whatever the you know current standard is in the in a 172. So yes, there is a huge difference. Um, and we like training in light sport aircraft because you actually have to fly the airplane. The 172 is an amazing airplane, but in my opinion, it's a pretty lousy trainer because it's too easy to fly. Um, and so students, you don't really need to use your feet very much. Um, and the airplane is so forgiving uh, that you you really have to make it do something wrong. Um, in a light sport airplane, because it is lighter, because of the way the aircraft are just simply constructed, you actually have to use your feet. You have to have those quote-unquote stick-and-rudder skills. But you're constantly flying the airplane. When the wind is blowing, you're feeling it, and you're going to fight a crosswind all the way down to the ground. The students, again, give me a hard time because they start their instrument training, and they start transitioning into the Cessna 172. This airplane is so easy to fly. Why didn't we use this for our private? You just answered your own question. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, because you actually learned how to fly. And so, yeah, of course this airplane is easy to fly. And, um, but, but you, you, you are a real pilot. You know how to fly an airplane. Yeah. To lead into the next question, the, we've seen in simulator training with the airlines that there's been certain things that are lacking. For instance, upset training, stalls, that type of thing. Uh, there is a, a new skepticism that's cropped up its head right now concerning simulators and their ability to simulate those type of things. For instance, stalls, upsets, that, and all those things that you need to know when you're flying a jet airliner when you get there. The simulators that you're using, have you seen much of a difference, or do you think that it actually simulates the airplane well enough that someone could do a stall, a spin, and then be able to do it in the actual airplane? Do it in the airplane? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Do it correctly in the airplane? No. Um, what we use is when we get to stall and spin awareness, um, you're not going to learn the maneuver necessarily in the simulator. You're going to learn the procedures for setup, entry, and recovery, which is not the same thing as performing it in the airplane. You're learning a set of steps and a set of recognition skills that tell you when the airplane is about to do something that you probably don't really want it to do unless you're in a training environment. The airplane for, for landing practice, for um, you know, abnormal operations, some of them to actually have that tactile feel, um, it's important to do – we're not eliminating the airplane by any stretch of the imagination. Now, whether or not air crews should be doing stall and spin training in actual jet airliners, that's a, another story for another day. And to, you know, There are 50,000 schools of thought on – how that's you know the old core of airline pilots like well back in my day you know we spun the DC-8 and well <laughs> great <laughs> congratulations I'm like glad you're alive um, you know and it, simulators for all of their amazingness they do a lot of things but the airplane is still an essential learning tool it's just not the only learning tool and so it's how you approach it really you know we're huge proponents of upset prevention training we have an upset prevention course in our bachelor's degree. Uh, where a student goes up in a super decathlon and runs that thing to the very edge of its operating envelope. Um, because, you know, an unusual attitude like what we practice in a 172, it's never going to be a descending turn, at, you know, approaching uh, the yellow arc. That's not what a real unusual attitude looks like. A real unusual attitude is, uh, you know, a 225-degree bank um, pointed at the ground as you come out from under a cloud layer. That's a real upset. That's what it's actually going to be like. Um, and so 
rather than talk about it or read it out of a textbook, I want the students to experience that. I want them to have some familiarity with it. But when it comes to stall and spin awareness training, of course, we can run procedures. We can run checklists. We can demonstrate what the airplane is like in those in those uh, uh, areas of operation, but not necessarily saying, okay, now that you've done this, we're just, you know, we're going to practice in the airplane one time and be done. It still takes some familiarity and some, and some finesse in the airplane because in simulators are really good in the normal operating envelope. But when you get toward the edges, that's where simulators start to become ineffective. And so you have to understand what the simulator is capable of and it's understand that it's not a replicator. It doesn't replicate the airplane. It simulates the airplane. Um, and so you have to make sure you're indoctrinating your instructors and your students um, as to what the, what the simulator is really for. And, you know, I, I think you brought up a good point there is that you have to go back into the airplane to, to do those things just because of the, the, the tactile feel and also the, you know, you, you're – kinesthetic feeling you're you're gonna you know i used to love to take my instrument students and do those 250 degree banks and uh you know they're upside down now and then okay it's your airplane now what do you do and that really is a great training tool because they they don't realize that i mean you can do a 1g roll with a student they'll never know it uh if they're under the hood with their eyes closed and i think i think that's what you're alluding to in doing the upset training in a a decathlon i think that's awesome um but you know that that's all like you said that's a topic moving forward as far as the sim training and, and all for the airlines and that's something they have to deal with but there is something that i think uh may affect you soon and and that is what are you going to do with the new rules coming out and maybe you could give a quick summary as far as the simulator training and will you be able to address that issue for the folks that are looking at going towards the airlines well like everybody else we're going to sit down and have a cry um <laughs> We're gonna, you know, hold hands and <laughs> and uh, sway from side to side. Um, so yeah, as a quick uh, overview for those that uh, may not know or, or what's going on with um, uh, professional pilot training, um, starting in August, the um, the final new ATP related rule, uh, the ATP CTP program, will become a, a a factual reality for people seeking airline transport pilot certification. And in order to test, to take the ATP knowledge test, someone has to complete the CTP training program. And essentially what it is um, is at least six hours of flight experience in a level C or D full flight sim and at least another four hours in a flight training device, appropriately certified flight training device. Um, you know, you can't just go to your local airport and get in a, an Airbus full flight sim. You know, those things aren't just around everywhere. And at 15 million a pop, they're not really a whole lot of everywhere anyway. Um, and so this is a huge training hurdle for people seeking ATP certification. And it becomes a reality in August. So quick public service announcement. If you're able to take the uh, the ATP knowledge test before August – and think you can get your ATP certification before that test expires two years after that, by all means, go take your ATP knowledge test. Because if you think you might need to take it after August, you're going to have to go through this CTP training program. And unfortunately, um, from industry estimates, this is looking like an eight to $10,000 expense that you're going to have to incur just to take the knowledge test. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it also really doesn't help you much because you're not getting a type rating um 
and all that training that you're doing, you're just going to redo it once you get to your airline job anyway. Um, because it's the same stuff that you're going to go through in Indoc. So it, it doesn't really have a huge benefit in the training environment, in the operational environment, certainly. But that's where we kind of are with CTP. It's a big, nasty mess. Um, last time I checked, um, there were two programs that were in final review with the FA, but none had actually been fully approved. And it's the end of April. <laughs> so... Um, there's a huge concern in the training industry as well as in the uh, the airline industry. But what's going to happen in August when there you know one or two programs maybe that are approved to offer this new training program, and nobody can take an ATP knowledge test or continue their ATP training? It's a huge deal. Um, and to be quite frank with you, um, no, I don't have a 15 million dollar simulator, and I'm probably not going to have one anytime soon. Um, very few people do. The most of the people who have them are airlines who do their own training or your flight safeties and your simcoms and companies like that. So there's a, a huge need out there uh, for that training, uh, certainly. And um, at this point, we have the staff in place. We have a um, pretty good working relationship, um, not a pretty, a really outstanding working relationship with a major U.S. airline who's interested in maybe partnering with us to develop and implement that curriculum. It's a process. It, it's not a light switch thing, and quite frankly, because no one has fully finished FA certification on this new program, we really don't know what the end result is going to be yet, and we don't really have a whole lot of time to gear up as an industry. That's kind of bad news. I don't like leaving it with bad news, but that's just a reality. It faces the entire community. Well, Eric, don't you? In my opinion, is I, I'm not really worried about it because they'll do the same thing they did with everything else. They'll allow people to actually extend the date. For instance, having your PIC uh, rating, your pilot and command rating for the type of aircraft you're flying, uh, they've extended most people to 2016 to comply with that, even though the rules have gone into effect already. So, well, every- the neat thing about that particular rule, at that level, they can they can issue a blanket exemption to an airline or right. to an operator. This is going to have to be individual exceptions to every individual person that wants to do – and that's going to become a little bit more messy. I agree they, they are, they're going to have to figure out a way to work around this because that kind of funnel with the need that exists in commercial aviation right now, there's no way you can put a pl- in place a funnel like that and expect the system to be able to continue. It's just not going to happen. No. Um, so there, there is there is a need for action there, but again, we just don't really know what that action is going to be yet. And, and you know, I know in the past that the FAA has given waivers to certain airlines uh, as far as ATB rule is concerned. In general, uh, you had captains flying without their ATP, and this is going back decades. And uh, well, actually, you know, when I started, we had some people that uh, got ATPs and were well were able to fly as captains with a restriction on their ATP license uh, that they couldn't leave the country. That type of thing. We may go to something similar. Uh, there's, but but it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out in general. So I, I, I uh, we'll, we'll definitely keep you in tune as to to what's going on there because this is pretty darn exciting stuff. Um, but. You know, the, the simulator sounds really cool, and I didn't realize it, it was free for the students, the actual simulator, not the instruction time. Uh, and that's a huge, huge savings uh, to people because of the fact that, you know, we, 
you know, as as a student, I can learn so much, especially with procedures instrument wise in that simulator. So, my question, Eric, is how can I become a student of yours so that <laughs> I can actually start using this simulator? I was just thinking you were asking about how it was free because you were upset that we charged you. But um, well, <laughs> that that see that's how we offer for free to the students, Carl. When we charge you a four a four hundred percent upcharge, it makes it free for the students. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Uh, no, so you can uh, you can very easily become a student, Carl. All you really need to do is fill out an application, get accepted to the college, and then you know apply to to this program. And I don't know, you know, we'll have to have a sit down interview. We may or may not be able to take you, but you know, we have to make sure you fit into our corporate culture. <laughs> well, I am a little bit old. I, I probably have more gray hair than most there. That's for sure. I have a lot of students who are older than you. Yes, I know, but they don't look as old as I do. The, well, uh, that's so, <laughs> true. That's, that's definitely true. I give you that. Touche. You know, Eric, and that leads into my next question, actually, is is you said something about uh, the GI Bill and paying for this and scholarships. Uh, you know, what's what's available to someone that's that's looking towards your school as far as scholarships are concerned, grants, et cetera, and also – uh, the GI Bill, is that uh, – how do they actually go about that process? Is that a difficult process? So those are two questions there. Well, in terms of the VA uh, VA funding, I mean, yeah, it's an involved process. Um, you know, I, I joke that for every one form the FAA has, the VA has five. Um, and that's that's just, you know, ribbing some fun. But, you know, I mean, it is a process to get the GI Bill funding. Obviously, you you have to meet deployment requirements and time and service requirements, things like that. And the GI Bill is, is a time-limited benefit. It's not a lifetime thing. You get a certain number of months of benefits that pay at a certain rate depending on how long you served and, and that sort of thing. But um, but we do have a VA coordinator who's on staff with the college, and, and, and that person's responsibility is to interface between the students and the VA to make sure that we have the the uh, paperwork that we need and that we process everything the way that we're supposed to. And so that's the, there is a process, but it's, but it, it functions. Um, there's a lot of paperwork, but you know, that's just the way working with any government agency is going to be. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, other students who don't have access to VA funding as again, as a public institution, we have access to, uh, federal student aid loans, um, uh, subsidized and unsubsidized loans, uh, Pell Grants and, you know, other scholarships through our foundation as a college um, and through also, you know, all the other myriad of aviation scholarships that are available. We do link to several of those from our program website. Um, and, you know, I, I try to counsel the students as much as I can about scholarship opportunities that exist um, just to make sure they know there's just a ton of money out there. And what's crazy is that so much of that money goes unused because people just don't apply. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, in some cases, you may be one of two people competing for five grand. You got a pretty good shot at getting $5,000. Um, and so I try to make sure the students are aware of those opportunities. And we counsel them regularly as a group and then individually also, uh, individuals also, uh, just to, uh, you know, to try to get that word out. Um, really cool benefit to people who live uh, within Polk County the James Ray uh, uh, Foundation Scholarship is available through the Central Florida Aerospace Academy, which is a public high school on the grounds of the Lake Linder Airport, just a quarter mile down the road from me. For students who meet um, uh, motivation and grade requirements, uh, they can have uh, basically have their private pilot certificate paid for while they're in high school, wow. uh, which is a huge deal. Um, and then beyond that, 
that uh, same scholarship offers $5,000 annually toward aviation collegiate programs, which mine is, obviously. So um, through dual enrollment opportunities that we offer with Central Florida Aerospace Academy as a very good partner of the school board of Polk County is an amazing partner of Polk State College. We work very closely together on a number of programs. Um, but students who attend Central Florida Aerospace Academy can actually come out of that program with a third of their associate's degree done and a private pilot certificate in their hand that all costs them nothing. That's absolutely terrific. And, uh, you know, for people that want links to that or want to get information, we'll have a link on stuckmikeavcast.com slash 72 so they can actually look at those scholarships. Actually, yeah, and tell just what's the URL? I know you're going to mention it at the end, but what is your what is your website? My program website is polk, P-O-L-K dot E-D-U slash cool. aerospace. Um, cool. And from there, you can learn about all of our programs, our teaching methodology, see what our course catalog looks like, and um, and see what our course costs are uh, for our flight labs. Because well. I have at least one person I'm going to quickly tell about tell about you know your program. Well, I appreciate I it, Rick. Thank you. Your check in the mail. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. You can just give give Carl a free five minutes on the sim. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Uh, I don't. I will see. We'll I like see. Rick. He's my new best friend now. <laughs> five minutes. Five what minutes. are you going to do? I don't know. Probably can't even crash something in five. Well, minutes. I don't know. You haven't seen me fly, uh, but yeah, that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be a lot of fun. Well, that's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> wow, come on, Vic. <laughs> The 172 is a little slower than what you fly for your day job. Uh, yeah, it is a little bit slower, but same principles. You know, you pull up, you go up, push, you go down, that type of thing. And the auto trim on the 172, I forget how it works, but uh, you can teach me that. Uh, <laughs> and the auto the auto throttle. And the auto thrust, right. Exactly. Auto throttles, I guess, in that case. But, uh, yep. you know, Eric, this is awesome. I tell you, you... You actually, I give you a lot of credit for what's gone on over there at Polk State College. The The thing that, that always worries somebody like myself that sees something that's growing because of somebody like yourself and your team there is, is what's going to happen after Eric? I mean, how do we keep keep this going? And I know you're committed to the program. I know you're not leaving anytime soon, but, but how, do we, how do we keep this vision going towards the future? Because uh, we need to do that. Right, and to be completely honest with you, that's why I love opportunities like this. And thank you all again for inviting me to come on the podcast tonight, because it's not just about Eric, and it's not just about Polk State College. Um, what we did is not difficult. It's not hard. It just requires a little bit of motivation, and a little bit of effort, and a little bit of thinking outside of the get a pilot certificate and a degree. Um, and anybody can do this. It's not complicated. Um, you know, I. I'm not, uh, I'm not a career academic. Um, I'm an industry guy. I love flying airplanes. I love teaching people to fly airplanes. I mean, literally anybody can do this and, um, it just, it takes a, the right mental attitude. Um, and I, you know, since my first instructor, maybe it was his fault for infecting me with this idea when I was 13 and impressionable. It's just that you, you cannot be done in aviation. You, You can't settle for good enough because there's no such thing. There's either good or not good. <laughs> there's, you know, there's not. Well, that that was okay. No, it it wasn't. <laughs> it, it was either it was either as good as you could have been at that time, or it wasn't. And um, and I, I think that's the main thing. And that's, you know, I meet with we meet with our faculty on a very regular basis. Um, we meet with our students as a group on a regular basis, um, because. It, this is not this is not my program. If anything, it's theirs. Um, it's their program. It's for them. Uh, and you know, somebody taught me how to have this attitude and how to have this 
this knowledge that I have for aviation. So it's my job to teach somebody else, and so they can go and teach somebody else. And so I, I don't really – I'm not concerned about what happens to Polk State Aerospace if at some point in the future I go to another job or um, you know, I, I finally – die from irritating my wife too much um or what it, because it just it, it it's not it's not it would be it would be the wrong mindset to say that this program is based on whoever runs it um that's exactly the opposite of our attitude as a program um this thing is this thing is not about one person it's not even about a few people it's about an attitude toward aviation and literally anybody who has that attitude can step in and do what i do and I think you've really fostered that attitude, and I think that's why I think it will continue on, and, and I think you're correct. I mean, this this isn't just about you, It's it, but but you have been a key player in this. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, before we wrap up, there is one other thing we didn't mention, and it's an organization that I think is incredible, that involves not just, just the college there, but also everything in the county, in Polk County, and that's called the Polk Aviation Alliance. And I, I think they were key in actually bringing you into this pit position at Polk State College. To me, Polk Aviation Alliance is, is basically an av- advocacy group. It's also a liaison between all the key players in the community within this county. And I never, I haven't really seen this happen before. And a big shout-out to Jamie Beckett, who's the president of that organization, didn't Jamie have a, a key role in, in getting you into this uh, or convincing you to finally go into Polk State? Yeah, Jamie and I have known each other for years. And um, actually, uh, Jamie and I did uh, a Flight Monkeys podcast for a while. Um, yeah, I, I've known Jamie for a long time, and he was one of the big proponents. He was like, you know, you really need to look at this college program. It's going to be amazing. And really, the Polk Aviation Alliance began in Jamie's brain as an idea about two years ago as a as – a, uh, you know, a a way to stop the bleeding, as it were, where all these aviation entities competed against each other for an ever-decreasing slice of pie. Um, and so the basic concept of the alliance is um, we can accomplish more together. Um, and so we, we have monthly meetings uh, of, our, of our board of directors, but then every other month we have a networking lunch. And we bring in people from all over the county, those who are involved in aviation, those who have an interest in aviation. Some are pilots. Some understand that their business runs because of overnight shipping that relies on aircraft. And so they see how aviation touches their lives in ways that they didn't even know. And that's what the Alliance does. It educates people about what aviation actually is and how important it is to the economy of our country and to our local community um, at, uh, at all levels of government, from city municipalities to the county. Um, as up to the state, I mean, it's it doesn't surprise me at all that Governor Rick Scott came to Summon Fund this year, the first sitting governor in the state of Florida to ever attend this event, because yes, Summon Fund has a sixty-four million dollar economic impact. It lasts for one week, sixty-four million dollars it brings into the state of Florida, wow. um, and with all of the aviation infrastructure going on in Florida, and probably doesn't hurt the fact that Rick Scott's a pilot. Also, um, I think he enjoyed the tour. Um, but it doesn't surprise me at all that more and more people are starting to realize that aviation is not just that thing out way outside of town with the barbed wire around it, that it's a, a, a much bigger thing and it impacts their lives in ways that they probably didn't understand and they can do even better the more they understand how the business works. 
And I think Polk Aviation Alliance is is something that is allowing people to understand that through through their videos, through their websites, and through people like you uh, and people that get involved with the Aviation Alliance. I I think this the Polk Aviation Alliance is a great model for everybody around around the uh, country. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, it says Polk Aviation Alliance, which means Polk County, but you and Jamie and and all the other individuals there have realized that. It's also about you know fostering relationships with the counties next to you. And you touched upon something, and and I, I think um, who was at the Lights Lean House, who was the head of Sun of Fun, said this is the largest um, event uh, expo uh, in Florida, and they brought in from the other county, the Tampa Airport, to actually come and become sponsors there, because they're realizing that. The, these all overlap in all of our lives, these different areas. Uh, you have customers that come from everywhere, and Polk Aviation Alliance is is making people realize that by adding aviation to this mix, to, uh, by adding an understanding of aviation to the mix, we're able to bring in more business, and, and people are starting to realize how important that role is. And my hat's off to you and, and Jamie and, and everybody there at Polk Aviation Alliance to in doing that and, and bringing that forward. As a matter of fact, he was able... Uh, Jamie with Polk Aviation Alliance was able to get a check from a major airline for $25,000 to be funneled into the Central Florida Aerospace Academy this year. They were the recipients of a $25,000 grant, and I think that's absolutely terrific. But part of that alliance is Polk uh, State College in the aerospace program. And, and, and Eric, it really, it's been awesome having you here to talk about the aerospace program and Polk State. But I, I think we're going to have a lot more uh, of, of you and also of Polk State College in the future and, and discussions as to what you're doing because it really sounds like you're innovative and very progressive in your, in your thoughts as far as education in the aviation community. So I, hope- I would absolutely love to. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know me. I'll do anything to talk about aviation. So. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm equal opportunity when it comes to aviation. The After Landing Checklist. If we weren't coming to a close, boy, you have a, there's such a, a large background that you've had, and, and we've obviously spoke for hours and hours on, on the other podcast, the Aviation Careers podcast, uh, helping people. And, and that's one thing that's neat about Eric. He's always willing to, to help folks out. So if someone does have questions about anything that we've talked about here, Eric, how would they get in touch with you? Well, I mean, you can obviously find me. Um, you can find all my contact information on our uh, college program website, uh, email, phone number, all that. You're more than welcome to get in touch with me that way. Or you can find me on the Twitter, uh, one of my favorite ways to talk aviation, at simple C Eric Go, S E E E R I C G O. That's where I hang out. And, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a social media filterer. I use different social media platforms for different things. And I really. I set aside the the Twitter account primarily for aviation because um, I there's so many awesome aviation people on Twitter, um, and I love those conversations and being able to interface with multiple people. So absolutely look me up on Twitter. I'd love to have a chat with you. Awesome. Does anybody else have any questions for you? I mean, then uh, we'll we'll actually end this here. We this is boy, we've gone gone over our hour here, and and we could talk probably another hour about all the innovative things that you're doing uh, here at Polk State, but. The, the, the one thing that I want to make sure people do know is that uh, Polk State College is, is something that 
that has really evolved under in, in a very short amount of time. If you remember going back in our conversation, it's only been a few years. I mean, you've done more in just those few years than I think some colleges have done done over decades, and I think that's that's awesome. And I really look forward to you bringing more information about that in the future. Uh, but we we also uh, one thing about Eric is he has an incredible knowledge of. Uh, aviation as far as rulemaking and that type of thing, and, if, and has been involved in some committees as far as rewriting certain rules, and, and I think even the PTS uh, for the commercial license. Is that correct, Eric? Yeah, we're currently doing that right now, actually. The second iteration of the Airman Certification Standards um, project, which will eventually replace what you know today as the Practical Test Standard. Now, that document will go away, and there will be one uniform standard to link knowledge test training and practical uh, evaluation uh, together called the Airman Certification Standard. And we're working on that, uh, I'm working on that uh, group now, the second iteration of that. I love that. I love being able to work collaboratively with other people and, and share our common experience. And um, I will say that just the the attitude of the FA over the last maybe two or three years where they've really come out to industry and said, okay, We've been doing this wrong because we haven't been including you guys. Come sit at the table with us and tell us how we can work together. And that kind of attitude is so essential in any kind of government, but especially in aviation. So um, I really enjoy that. I love that process. Well, we look forward to updates on that because that sounds pretty darn exciting. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with Eric, like he said, uh, it's at CEricGo. We'll, we'll have those links at the at the website at StuckMikeAvCast.com. And also, if, if you like this programming, please go out and visit our sponsors at StuckMikeAvCast.com. It's uh, down the right column. You'll see a lot of our sponsors there and also at the end of the different blog posts on, on all these shows. And, of course, Aviation Universe is our, is our sponsor for this episode and more. And uh, they have some pretty amazing products and are just wonderful people to deal with. And they, uh, they, they're live a lot of times uh, on another aviation show where they've, they broadcast from uh, the, the actual remote location in their store in Chicago. Well, Eric, again, appreciate you having you here. And we look forward to bringing you back on again in the near future. Can I just offer one thing else sure. that I forgot to mention before? Sure. I've been listening to this program for a really long time, and it is really surreal <laughs> to get to come on this podcast and get to talk to you guys and uh, to share aviation. So I, I know I've said thank you before, but legitimately, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's I, I can't wait for this episode to come out and to hear myself on Stuck Mike because I've been listening to you guys uh, talk aviation for a long time. I've always admired what you do and the way you do it, and uh, I really appreciate the nod and uh, for allowing me to come on. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome, Eric. And, and, you know, we really appreciate having someone on who's truly passionate about aviation. Just like like everybody else here that's that's on Stuck Mike Avcast and and everybody that's been on our show, the the one common theme is passion. And and we actually love what we do. And and seeing Eric here, it's just just being here after listening to us for, for quite some time. As a matter of fact, Eric and I knew each other more online than anything and finally got to meet each other at Sun and Fun and, and uh, formed this, this relationship of, uh, you know, immediately Eric started poking fun at me. And uh, it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's so been, easy, Carl. It, you it make really, it so easy. I do. I do. I walk into so much, that's for sure. <laughs> well, Eric, once again, hey, thanks for being here. And I, and I can't wait to talk to you again. And, you know, from, from all of us here at Stuck Mike and, and everybody listening right now, we appreciate it. Uh, this, again, is Carl Blair, your host. And, uh, with Sean Moody, of course, Victoria Zyko, and Rick Felty. You know, folks, 
fly safe, and we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you have any questions, go out to stuckmikeavcast.com slash contact. Ask away. Ask Eric questions. Ask us. And you know what? Before the next show, do me a favor. If you could, go out to our Facebook page and click on it and like it. We, uh, we actually started that back up again. So again, from all of us, safe flying, and we'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.